The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show where we talk about all of the biggest news in the world of PlayStation. And now that we've all finally been able to come down from just the nonstop thrills of last week's state of play, uh, we have a few other topics that we're going to get into this week. Uh, but before we get there, I'm joined by Jada Griffin. Hello, hello. Hello. Welcome back to the show and appearing for the first time on Podcast Beyond, Kat Bailey. Hello, everybody. I'm still recovering. From the excitement, pulse pounding thrills of that state of play. It was incredible. Of course. It's it's why you couldn't be on Beyond last week, because you were just too shaken <laughs> by all of the reveals. There's so, so uh, much news to cover from that particular <laughs> event. It, it lasted us one whole segment of last week's show. <laughs> um, but Kat, it's it's great to have you on. Uh, for those who don't know Kat, uh, you can see Kat on Nintendo Voice Chat. Uh, and also, of course, is our senior news editor and is doing phenomenal work with our amazing news team to to get you all the news you need to know. Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, It's my old team, and it's great to see it in such amazing hands. You're feeling very Um, possessive of your old team. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you take them away from me? Uh, No, it's it's been awesome to see all the incredible work you all have been doing, and very excited to have you on the show this week. of course, uh, of course, we've got some news speaking of to to jump into that we will in in a little bit. But I did want to start off with a little bit of a a broader topic uh, that kind of w- was a suggestion from uh, Mark Medina, who couldn't be on this week due to scheduling, uh, but was something that we were I, I think. Uh, surprisingly, to to my expectations at least, suddenly brought everyone together in our Beyond Slack group, uh, and that was uh, very hearteningly so. Talk of the PlayStation Vita, um, and the reason this all came about was uh, thanks to PlayStation's own Shuhei Yoshida tweeting out an image of playing Horizon Zero Dawn on the Steam Deck, uh, and this this image sort of made the rounds. Everyone was really excited to see, you know, obviously Horizon running on the Steam Deck. Uh, Shuhei saying. It it was running well and all these sorts of things was obviously exciting, but it brought to to mind, obviously, the PlayStation Vita and the fact that, well, we did have PlayStation handheld opportunities uh, previously, but now we're in sort of a case where the Steam Deck may be the closest we get to a PlayStation Vita 2. So kind of want to talk about all of that, what that means, what we feel about that. Um, and I guess just on just on the, the first topic of it, because we, we didn't really t- touch on it too much when when the Steam Deck was announced. But uh, Jade, I'll start with you. Are are you planning on getting a Steam Deck? Do you have one pre-ordered? What sort of your plans there? 
Yeah, I've got one pre-ordered. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to miss the Q4 uh, window. I'm going to get mine in Q1 of next year. Um, but I'm super excited. There's a lot of games um, in my Steam library. I've got so many like categories set up for games that like I'm just probably never going to get to. But now I might actually have a chance to get to. So I'm going to have to go in and rework all of my categories on my Steam library because there's like, <laughs> I don't know, 800 games. I buy too many games during Steam sales and I need to stop. That's that's what they're there for. I mean, yeah, Steam is is my library of amazing games that I will maybe one day get to is is kind of as it stands right now. But Kat, what about you? Are you are you planning on getting one or are you, have you held off? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely getting a Steam Deck. I am a mobile device addict. I get every single one of them. I had a couple different PSPs. I had a Vita. I have all of the various Nintendo handhelds and everything. So the second that the Steam Deck was announced, I was like, oh, heck, yeah, I'm going to be getting this. And playing whatever the heck, you know, Wildermyth, I suppose, since it's still <laughs> on Steam, on the on the Steam Deck. I'm looking forward to playing Super Robot Wars 30 from the PC version on the Steam Deck. Uh, I'm curious to see how the games uh, kind of work together with the Proton uh, operating system, seeing that uh, Horizon Zero Dawn seems to be running okay on Steam Deck is very promising, especially since... Horizon Zero Dawn when it first came out on PC, like there were some reports of various issues with it, yeah. some bugs, that kind of thing. So seeing that maybe it'll be okay on Steam Deck is a very positive thing uh, for me to be able to see. However, I will say that the <laughs> Vita had a one advantage over the Steam Deck, and that is it had an OLED screen versus yes. the LCD yeah. screen. OLED screens are better. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I assumed you were going to go for the back touchpad, which I think we can all agree was the <laughs> highlight of the Vita. Oh, my um, God. Try playing FIFA on that thing. It was the worst. Did it use the touchpad? Oh, that? yeah. When you're trying oh, to shoot, man. like I would accidentally shoot all the time with that rear touchpad when I was playing FIFA in like Oof. 2012 or whatever. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I think still probably uh, Tearaway is, is probably the best and really mm. only smart usage of that that back touchpad. But um, no, the, you know, the conversation we were all having in Slack and obviously I made sure to grab it before we started the show is how much we love this thing. And, and you know, the obviously sad state that the, the Vita kind of dwindled in its life. But I, I think more than anything, the, the Vita was once sold on the promise of like getting to play PlayStation console quality games on the go. Uh, it then sort of transformed into this life of being basically the non steam indie go to where like, hey, if you wanted to play indie games and you could have them on the go, the Vita was the machine to go to for that. Obviously, the switch kind of supplanted it there and, and whatnot. But now maybe the Steam Deck can kind of become its successor but I, I i guess i'm curious from from the both of you as people who are interested in the steam deck and, and curious to see what, what happens there and see how games run do you feel like playstation is missing an opportunity to have a handheld uh device whether something like the steam deck of of you know a really great essentially remote play system or a proprietary thing do you think they're missing an opportunity or do you think it makes sense that they haven't really tried to re-enter that market that's an interesting I mean question yeah. Ahead, <laughs> um, you know, I say yes and no. I say yes because, you know, obviously there is a lot of very loyal fans like all of us included that loved our Vitas, loved our PSPs. There's a lot of great experiences that you just couldn't get anywhere else. And also it enabled uh, smaller developers to bring games to the market um, via the Vita or the PSP um, that, you know, you other gamers might have missed otherwise. Um but in the same vein, I say no, because 
you know, Nintendo is somewhat moving out of this handheld space. The like, yes, the Switch is still handheld. You can play it, take it with you on the go. But you see that they're not re-upping and diving back into the DS or trying to tackle that market. They're trying to combine the market um, and go that direction because mobile phones now are getting all these great games. And you know, we see games like uh, Final Fantasy, the Shinra's First Soldier. Or for, yeah, I think is what it's called is the mm-hmm. battle royale from Square Enix and Final Fantasies coming to mobile. And there's a ton of other games that are just coming to mobile. And like, I don't think we need a dedicated handheld to play those type of things anymore. I think Kat, that, what about you? Yeah. I think that dedicated handhelds are more popular than ever. And in many ways, the Vita was really ahead of its time. The way that mm-hmm. it, it came out in an era where digital delivery was still kind of in its early days and indie development was kind of in a different place. The Vita did not support indies until kind of later in its life, like in a big yeah. in a big way. And the Switch, in many ways, took all of the lessons from the Vita and went and ended up being a large success. Now, Sony, I think its handhelds have been kind of overrated over their lifespan. People always say, oh, Sony... They took all the wrong lessons from handheld. They didn't understand how to make a handheld system successful. But the PSP was actually very successful. And I think that they would potentially have an opportunity if they wanted to make a Vita 2. First of all, that would stir up so much excitement. So many people would be like, (laughs) I'm in day one, especially if it had some kind of cloud support or that kind of thing to be able to properly play PS5 games on it, for example, because... Cloud-based gaming is more popular than ever and everything. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I think that if they went ahead and announced a Vita 2, as long as they weren't doing proprietary memory cards again, mm. they could have a oh, hit God. on their hands. But I don't think they're going to, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say those memory cards were the only thing that killed the Vita, certainly. <laughs> uh, to your point, Kat, I do definitely think it was a few years too early for, for a device like that, especially within PlayStation. But yeah, that really didn't help, especially trying to sell people on the price point of that thing. Um, it was it was a bit of a nightmare to go shopping for that. But I I like to your point of and, and obviously it's, it's funny to say because it is obviously such a marketing beat that so many of these companies are trying to tie into. But cloud based gaming is becoming so much more of a thing that that these bigger companies are pushing. And and I was curious in that respect of like, do, do either of you do much remote play gaming, either either on PlayStation or, you know, on Xbox as well via, via their cloud stuff? I think it's still pretty early on with a lot of these systems. Like, I don't think Xbox is fully ro- rolled out. It's cloud-based gaming at this point. So I haven't really had an opportunity to dabble in it too much. And the same mm-hmm. goes with Sony. It feels like really early days, but I am a big believer in cloud-based like remote gaming as like more and more of a thing going forward. Stadia, make fun of Stadia <laughs> we want, but Stadia sort of had the right of it. It just didn't have the, the, the software support. But, yeah. You know, Kind of like how the Dreamcast was ahead of the game in terms of online play. I, I do think that give it a couple of years, we're going to be, be able to be able to play games on practically any device. And that includes dedicated handhelds. But in the meantime, I'm getting my analog pocket. And I'm just going to be very happy. That's a good call. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've gone for a play date, which is very much Ooh. probably the opposite of that. But I'm excited. Did you, do you actually that. have one yet? Do you, no, do you not yet. Crank? I w- I want to so badly. <laughs> I know it's it's a gimmick, but man, it's a very, very exciting 
I think Brandon. Um, but Jada, what about you? Have have you done much remote play or or used any cloud based stuff recently? The remote play I I've done is when I'm away, when I'm traveling, and I take my Vita with me, and I'm remote playing from my PS4 or PS5, playing games straight off of that. Like uh, I remember a while back, I was really big into Apex. I still am, but. Back when it was like brand new, I was like, I don't want to miss any time in the season. I took my Vita with me and I was playing remote playing Apex Legends on my PS Vita from my PS4. Um, And it surprisingly worked well. Um, The only downside was there was uh, because the Vita buttons are analog sticks, you can't click in. I was down two buttons, so I had to remove (laughs) two commands. So I had to choose between having my map or the ping system. And basically I chose the ping system because I was like, it's better for me to communicate since I don't have a mic right now to talk with my uh, allies and to be able to look at the map. So I was like, you guys just have to guide me wherever we're going. Cause I have no idea where the circle's closing, um, but it was a blast and I won a game. So you know what? Nice. It's, it works. Wow. I'm really impressed. I only got one kill and like, I think 280 damage, but I still like, you know, that's better than some people's regular games. So I'll take it with that kind of input delay and you're removing commands. That's insane. You must be really good. (laughs) I'm okay. I'm not, I'm no, I'm no uh, pro, but I'm, I hold my own. (laughs) You could go pro with the Vita back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. You could go pro. Yeah. But that was the problem with the Vita back in the day was that you would you had the remote play through the PS4 and everything. But it was a combination of the Vita didn't have enough, uh, didn't have enough buttons. You were using yep. the rear touchpad in some instances. So the shoulder buttons in particular were a complete nightmare. And then the input delay was really heavy, even when you were playing at home, for example. So I'm hoping 10 years later that things are a lot better going forward. Yeah, it's it's definitely technology that still feels like it uh, it's improved, but still can always continue. I, I tend to do a little bit of uh, remote play. I've been doing a lot of uh, Persona 5 on, on the Royal playthrough that I'm doing. And I, hey, I use there you go. Nice. I, I use it on my mobile phone and I it, like it's great if I have a backbone controller, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to just remote play with the touchscreen and not really having a lot of options because it then obscures the screen completely. So it's like. If you go out of your way to find a good attachment for your phone, remote play is a viable option. I guess you don't need a PlayStation portable device because my phone can do it. But yeah, there is still lag there. Like even within, as Kat, you were saying, like even now within my own home, I have really solid Internet. And sometimes even from one room over my PlayStation, just as like, I have no idea what attack you were trying to do. Sorry. And just oh, no. <laughs> you wanted and, to jump. Uh, you wanted to jump off the ledge, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like I can barely even jump in this game game how was that an option at that one point um but so yeah it's it's only something i've used with slower or or turn-based games like that because i am afraid of sort of more twitchy uh action you know really precise timing demand and stuff though it is i guess great to hear jada that you were able to win a match (laughs) that gives me a little bit of hope Um, so here's my question for all of you yeah if sony were to make a beta 2 what would it need to do to make the beta two successful? That is a very good um, question. I'll start off. Uh, yeah. I think it needs to have some very like um, well connected to the PS five. It needs to be able to, I need to be able to basically anything I want to do on my PS five, I need to be able to do on my Vita. So it can basically act as a controller away from home. Mm. Um, I, that, that would be the biggest thing for me because 
there was a lot of features that you just couldn't take advantage of on the PS4 uh, or on the Vita with the PS4 or the, you know, um, PS3. I think back in the day, you could still link those up if I remember right. Um, And so that was kind of a like a letdown for me. But I think if they came correct with the the right options and abilities and, you know, connection, connectability, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Um, with the PS5 and the Vita 2, that would be for me. And then also just uh, library. I think it's really going to, it needs the library to support it. So, Yeah, yeah that's that, a tough thing. Sorry, go ahead, Jordan Bush. Dorno. <laughs> Jordan Bush also works. Um, Bush. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my first weeks at IGN, Brian Altano called me Donnie Jordan Bush as a joke. And <laughs> I've just always loved that as the, the silliest portmanteau of my name. Um, but no, yeah, I th- I think like library and um, just like, honestly, it would come down probably in terms of what I want from it and what in terms of what I think it needs to succeed are probably slightly different. But um, like, I do think at the end of the day, Sony would need it to be pretty cost competitive um, and to give you a reason to to want your PlayStation experience on the go. I, I like I think at this point, if they tried to do sort of a two tiered experience, kind of like the Vita essentially did for the PS3 and PS4, I just don't think that's a great enough sell in this day and age. Like if there is not library parody for the most part, obviously like PSVR notwithstanding and, and things like that are, you know, maybe the most cutting edge PS5 games. If if the handheld couldn't really use most of my existing library and I had to rebuy versions of games or I had to, uh, you know, there was exclusives being dedicated for it. I think that would in the long term hurt it. Uh, you know, it its sales life and its longevity as much as i love some of the exclusives that were made for vita um i think at the end of the day a handheld i would want to be able to as best as possible replicate what i'm doing on the console on the go or from the comfort of my bed basically you remind me of one other thing i think that would be you know and i would want bloodborne as red as as putting up on the screen yes Uh, i think the biggest (laughs) thing that would be uh you know to set it up for success would just be ease of access like it needs to be readily available, and then it also needs to be the setup and any type of pairing and compatibility with your PS5. It just needs to be easy so anybody who gets it, so if a parent buys it for their kid, they can go ahead, go to town right off the bat. There's no bunch of different setup and things they have to, configurations they have to do to make it work right. Um, I think that would be really key for it succeeding in today's day and age as well. This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. 
Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well. But yeah, Kat, did you have specific things in mind or were you just kind of like open-ended on there? I I think the ability to plug it into the TV would be nice because that was one of the problems that the Vita had until the release of the PlayStation TV. And even then, by that point, the Vita was kind of dead on arrival, sadly. I think that it's kind of tough because Sony devotes its resources to making its first-party games look like some of the most beautiful games on the market. It has a real tech focus that Nintendo doesn't. So it's really hard to get that kind of experience on a handheld device without cloud support or that kind of thing. Now, Valve is showing, hey, like you can do something to that effect with Horizon Zero Dawn on Steam Deck, but that and that thing has some meaty specs. So maybe Sony could pull off something if they put out a handheld device with kind of similar specs and that kind of thing. But I have to imagine that in a hypothetical universe in which Sony decides they have to make a dedicated handheld <laughs> for some reason, that they would make a device that could plug into the TV and could access the entire PlayStation library, but it would be mostly through the cloud. And then also there would be uh, games that were released natively for the platform as well. And so it would be, on the one hand, a companion for your PS5, but it would also stand alone. And I think that's a tricky kind of line to walk. And I can understand why they're like, Let's not do that. But exactly. It's a fun unit. It's a fun thought experiment, I think. Oh, no, totally. I yeah, it's, it's that really interesting thing of like the more we're talking about it, the more I'm like, OK, yeah, realistically in my head, it doesn't make sense for them to do a Vita <laughs> 2. Yes, I acknowledge that. But at the same time, I would buy it because I mm-hmm. have a problem. But yeah, it is that funny thing of like, 
yeah, I do think there are some things that you could have done differently. Like, I do not think, obviously, we didn't need the back touchpad. I think some of the camera stuff on here was unnecessary. Obviously, the proprietary charging and memory card stuff of this was a nightmare for ease of use. And, and Jade, I know you were talking about that as well as like a big uh sellability factor is just like oh yeah it uses the USB-C charging you're using for other things it uses x y and z that you already know i think like if you did something like that it would probably have a much stronger chance of success but yeah then i i guess the big question is well why don't i just get a really good phone and play my games via the remote play app because that is phone does not have buttons on it True. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Unless you buy a third party thing, you don't have yeah. buttons. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right there. It's it's still a workaround you have to find for a decent experience. So mm-hmm. I mean, my flip yeah. phone still has buttons. Does that work? You have a flip phone? Wow. <laughs> I, I kept my very first flip phone that I ever got. It doesn't have service oh. or work, but I kept That's it awesome. just for memory's sake. It's in a box somewhere. I like that. I think I might have my Motorola Razor still somewhere in a box, too. I Yeah, I, I still have held on to that thing for some reason. Um, I played a God of War mobile game on it. So, you know, PlayStation oh was ahead there of the game. There was a God too. of War mobile game on a flip there phone? There was. Yeah, it was very like 2D side scrolling thing. And essentially it would be like you're in a room and Kratos has to clear like X amount of enemies or open like three chests and then you'd move on to the next room and do the same thing. Uh, It was very, very basic. But yeah, apparently PlayStation was trying that out way back when. uh, And I just boy, I only have a single bar. (laughs) (laughs) I got to play got to play God of War on my phone. Um, But no, yeah, it's it's one of those things. It it sounds like from from all of us, it's like we love the Vita. We would probably buy a Vita, too, if it existed. But it sadly feels like if you want to play Horizon, Uncharted, uh, you know, God of War, all that stuff on the go, probably the Steam Deck is your best bet going forward, which if it plays as well as it's supposed to, probably not a bad bet to make. Um, And hey, that's great in some ways, especially... I mean, being able to play games like Death Stranding and that kind of thing, like, yeah, like uh, that that is giving us a portable experience with these games, with these Sony first party exclusives. That's great. Being able to play Horizon Zero Dawn on my couch or whatever. I'm so into that idea. I mean, I can go I can go on a walking simulation in in real life while carrying packages in Death Stranding mobile now. (laughs) Just like (laughs) that's the ideal life. Have they announced Um, God of War for PC yet? Yes, it's coming. Okay. I want to say January 18th or 22nd. It's, I couldn't remember if days. it was still a rumor or not, but yeah, yeah, no, God of War on Steam Deck just chilling out. You know, that's that's great. That's it's, almost yeah, that's almost to the Vita 2 experience right there. Exactly. That That is an awesome thing to have. And I do think it'll be interesting to see that as a uh, obviously, PlayStation is planning to do more, you know, PC ports and things. They hired uh, or they acquired Nix's software, which, of course, is, is pretty famous for doing PC ports. And, you know, it's just been a focus for PlayStation recently. Um, I think, you know, having those things available on Steam, one, gives you this outlet if you're looking for a mobile way to play them. And two, doesn't cost PlayStation any R&D of a handheld. They don't have to put any time or effort into that and can kind of just focus on the console that they're still having trouble getting into people's hands. So that's probably not the worst, you know, focus of their money at this time. <laughs> um, any other PlayStation Vita closing thoughts before I move on, though? I don't want to block. Any I turned Vita on life. my Vita the other day and I was playing Ooh. SD Gundam G Generation Genesis on it. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I really like this. The screen is lovely. The form factor is excellent. The UI is still kind of nice. It's fun to flip through the little screen 
uh, yeah. to get to your indie games. I was going through my PlayStation Store download list, and it was a blast from the past going <laughs> all the way down to 2012, where I'm looking at PSP games like Yggdra Union and mm, freaking Castlevania, Ron, uh, was it Dracula X Chronicles and that oh, kind of yeah. thing. I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of good stuff you could get from just the the marketplace, which was great. Um, I really liked being able to you know utilize the Vita for that. I think I used it more for that than any of the like mainstream releases. Um, like I definitely picked up like Gravity Rush when it dropped on the Vita, and that was really cool um didn't get around to finishing it on the vita but i did pick it back up on the ps4 and finished it there um but yeah there's a lot of really cool stuff i think the last game i played on it was soul sacrifice um okay. uh, yeah and that was a cool little like hack and slash rpg me and my buddy were playing co-op and we decided that he was going to uh save everybody and i was going to sacrifice everybody so we were literally just kind of <laughs> par- like opposite parallels um and it it worked out for a good chunk of the game and did not so much for the late end of the game where we needed a little more balance (laughs) remind me Uh, not to get in jada's way (laughs) (laughs) i sacrifice everybody we'll save those debates for another time but yeah no i am it's very funny to go back to that and and see like oh yeah right my last few games being purchased were like freedom wars and sound shapes and and a few of those and it's (laughs) it's a very specific time capsule to reopen a vita at this Mm -hmm. point in time but uh it's a nice one to have and until a vita 2 ever does or doesn't happen at the very least we'll be able to start playing playstation games on the go via a non-playstation device uh so that'll be fun to try out next year when we get our hands on those uh moving on from there though i do want to catch up on a little bit of other news that's been going on uh and one of these was actually uh an item cat that you had pointed me to and thank you for this because it was a a really great interview piece uh that was going around uh from uh gamesindustry.biz had originally reported on it from a uh developed brighton conference uh and it's in regard to insomniac ceo ted price was, was giving a a talk and he spoke specifically sort of about how uh, the development approach they took for Spider-Man's final boss. Uh, he believes that boss fight was actually improved because of the way they worked uh, to avoid crunch and essentially uh, not to to force the team to do a crazy amount of work to make this big epic battle, but instead to refocus it and make it a little smaller. Uh, Price specifically said, just to give a couple quotes, uh, quote, the temptation is to just brute force it, put our heads down and run through the brick wall. But the team took a step back and thought about what was important to the players, and that was the breakdown of the relationship between Peter and his former mentor, Dr. Octavius. They rethought the fight and realized they didn't need to destroy half of New York to pay off the relationship, Price said of the developers thinking about the situation. Uh, He continued, quote, in fact, it would have worked against what we were going for. As a result, the final battle is much more up close and personal and has a far bigger emotional impact than planned, and it fit within the time that we had. Uh, In the stress of hectic production, we often feel we can't take our foot off the gas pedal, but that's often what it takes. The team needs to have permission to pause and come up with a better way instead of bulldozing through the problems and causing potential health problems. Uh, And so obviously this is is a talk ahead of we'll see, you know, the scope and and things of Spider-Man 2. But I I really appreciated this insight. And and Kat, I want to throw to you just for your thoughts on it of uh, I I guess a continued focus from Insomniac to seem to want to put its developers uh, mental health first. You know, there was a lot around uh, Insomniac, uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart's launch about how there was the some of the developers were saying on on Twitter that there was no crunch during during the game's development for them, that they were able to do it on on normal work hours. And, And obviously that is something that 
I think it's fair to say we want to become sort of the typical expectation of game development is that devs don't have to do that. But I, I'm just curious to, to hear from you sort of about how how Insomniac and how you think PlayStation has sort of been addressing conversations both within the studio and at large of, of Crunch. Yeah, well, that's a big topic, honestly, <laughs> but I do think that Insomniac is making a good faith effort to stay away from Crunch and unhealthy work practices. So much of what happens with Crunch is that just a failure to properly manage a schedule and to hit your actual milestones. So then you end up scrambling at the end of your development. Insomniac obviously has been around for a long time. It's a very veteran studio. They know how to make a video game on time, you know, without completely burning out their people. And so it is a, a really good to see them kind of carrying the standard in that way. Obviously, Ted Price has been around forever in the games industry. And if you kind of survey Sony's studios at large, Naughty Dog obviously came under a lot of fire for what was happening with Last of Us 2. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Sony Santa Monica, by and large, I, I mean, obviously things could still come out. You never know. But they seem to be kind of on the level as well. And that just kind of speaks to generally how well run the studios in Sony's kind of broader clutch of family of studios really are. So, yeah, like I am really pleased to see that Insomniac is really trying to say that eh, crunch is not an inevitability here with these games. Like Spider-Man is a big game. It is not a small game, ultimately. It has a lot of scope to it, but they were able to kind of be realistic in how they scoped out their actual like encounters and everything. They didn't go crazy. They said, yeah, we, we can't actually do this. And more importantly, we don't have to because yeah. and then that becomes kind of an art through adversity kind of situation, right? Where you're like you're forced down into a smaller scope, but that ultimately makes the product better. I mean, and you see that in movies all the time. Just look at Jaws, you know. Yeah. a movie where you didn't have a CG shark. So therefore they had to kind of work around that. And the result was a better movie. Yeah. Show, showing the shark as little as possible ended up being the best thing for it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, to, to your point, it is definitely, I think, uh, a far cry from from some of the the comments that came a little bit under fire earlier this year from Naughty Dog when it came to, I, I think there was a specific quote, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but sort of, of like that the team they weren't really thinking about unionization even as a thing for, for their employees. And then, so that mm. brought up, of course, the discussion around crunch again with them and whatnot. And so it's, it's great to see, especially Insomniac now officially being part of the first party studio, you know, family officially acquired. If they're able to give their learnings to some of these other teams too, especially it feels like it can only help the, the larger PlayStation teams in the end. And I think um, that's what you get when you have a studio that has a lot of retention And people who have been in the industry forever, as opposed to just tons and tons of turnover, because when you're relying on just tons of contractors and people who are coming in and then going out and then coming in and going out and you have inexperienced management, that's how you end up in a crunch situation because projects start to grow out of control. uh, The pre-production pipeline ends up not being very useful and that kind of thing. And then the next thing you know, the project is completely out of completely out of control. I mean, compare and contrast with a little game called Cyberpunk, which, <laughs> yes, it was made by a pretty veteran studio, but also that studio 
grew a lot in the wake of Witcher 3. And that everything, by all accounts, that game was not well planned at all. They had years and years of pre-production that they basically never ended up using. And every time they looked at Night City, they were like, how can we make it bigger? How can we make it more impressive? How can we make it crazier? And the result was a game that was a freaking mess, right? I I feel like Cyberpunk got caught up in its own hype. Like, I feel like when it got revealed, that first reveal, everybody was so ecstatic about seeing this next game from CD Projekt Red. And it's like, oh, we love Cyberpunk as a world. We love all this stuff. And like, everybody was like, this is so cool. And the Cyberpunk, I think, I think the CD Projekt Red team came back and was like, we've got to do more. Like the hype train for us is off the charts, like dream big and go bigger than what we dream. And I think that kind of might've come back to bite them in the butt um, (laughs) just because they didn't, there wasn't enough polish on some of the most basic things. Um, I enjoyed my 40 or so hours I put into it, but not going to lie. I was upset with my game crashing every hour and walking (laughs) off of a couch and just instantly flatlining. Um, I don't know why that was an interaction, um, but it's just something that happened regular, regularly for me um, when I played cyberpunk. Look, the, the cyberpunk dystopia is a dangerous one, and sometimes just <laughs> stepping off your couch can be instant death. It's hard it was, to say. Uh, don't oh drive. Whatever you do, do not drive in the game. Um, Before we move on off of the, the crunch and stuff, uh, I have a couple of good comments from our article that we wrote up on it. Yeah, totally. um, uh, Inuo, hopefully more of the game industry start to notice the correlation between Insomniac's stellar track record and their priority for good working conditions before too much longer. Um, 100% agree. That's echoing things what Katz was saying. Um, Another one, Alcal 3. Every time a AAA studio proves how far they can go and how much they can deliver while taking care of their developers, it makes it harder for other studios to justify their crunch culture. This is a powerful message. Um, and I agree. I think this is Insomniac leading by example and showing that, hey, uh, just because we go smaller in scale doesn't mean that the overall product is worse. Um, I thought that the ending for Spider-Man was amazing. I felt like the whole core of the game was about Peter and his connection with Doc Ock. And I feel like them kind of scaling it down and focusing on that person-to-person relationship, not Spider-Man versus Doc Ock. It was Octavius versus Peter. And just, you know, that that conversation and that moment, I think, really solidified the ending for me. I also think that they got a lot of support from Sony does a good job of having all of its different studios kind of come together and help support. Yeah. And also executives like Brian Intahar was the director of Spider-Man and he was interacting regularly with Mark Cerny, who's obviously, you know, a legend has been around forever And Cerny was having lunches with him and saying, and like being kind of a mentor, right? Giving lots of advice on like where he should be taking this game and always telling him, don't let it get out of control and that kind of thing. And like that kind of infrastructure can really make all the difference and maybe is a big big clue as to understanding why Sony's first party games are consistently so good. 
Yeah. And, and I think that also speaks to, you know, I've, I've had a few conversations with a couple of the developers Sony has announced these like publishing partnerships with, and they always are like the, the sort of work ethic and, and the sharing of ideas and technology and things is what draws them so much to PlayStation. And I think that totally speaks to what you're saying, Kat, is like they, when, when Sony is bringing someone in either as a first party or as a partner, they seem to be like, okay, here's everything our teams are working with. How can it help what your project is doing? And, and so, yeah, even if it is that interpersonal relationship or if it's sharing of like actual infrastructure of, of how they build those games that can go a long way to alleviating some of these problems and it's it's really cool to see that like cross cross developer uh assistance because i don't think that gets spotlighted enough and, and i'm glad you mentioned it um but yeah it's uh it, it's really great to see and, and obviously you know speaking jada to a couple of those points from the comments i think it also leads to how we see insomniac continue to pump out hit after hit you know they they certainly not only make really great games but seem to not stop doing so so yeah. uh the fact that except they're able Fuse. to do so just forget about for that Fuse. there was their one that i don't was know their what you're one talking about. game but yeah <laughs> i've never i mean you know they shouldn't have left PlayStation. no but uh yeah it's a uh, it, no one has a perfect track record, I suppose. But yeah, it's uh, it's been exciting to see what they've been doing, and, and hopefully other studios can continue to learn from them uh, as we go on into this generation, especially if they've done Spider-Man and Ratchet in year one. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens from there. Um, just to move on from that, though, uh, briefly, I did want to mention, because it happened in between episodes, if neither of you have any huge thoughts about this, I'm not going to complain. We, we can move on. But just to mention, uh, the PlayStation Plus games were announced for November. They're currently available. Uh, and of course, we were waiting during the State of Play episode for the announcement and it never came. Uh, but First Class Trouble, which was one of the games shown during the State of Play, is available uh, on PlayStation Plus, as is Knockout City, which just got its next gen version as well. So that's available on PS5 and PS4. That is the EA multiplayer dodgeball game that apparently people really love, uh, but I haven't gotten a chance to check out. Uh, uh, and then Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning, uh, which is one of the THQ renamed uh, remaster remakes that they've been doing uh, of the, I want to say, PS3 and Xbox 360 era RPG yep. mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that uh, Kurt Schilling famously uh, had a whole <laughs> bunch of problems with. But we don't need to get into that now. Uh, and then in addition to that, on the PSVR side, uh, The Persistence, which is actually the latest game from Fire Sprite Studios, which uh, Fire Sprite Games, which playstation acquired uh is available uh as a psvr game it also has a non-vr version that you can play as well uh the walking dead saints and sinners for psvr and until you fall for psvr Uh, obviously just as a reminder whether or not you have psvr whether or not you have a ps5 make sure to redeem all of these games so that they are in your library if you end up picking up you know the next gen vr and it's backward compatible or you're able to get your hands on the ps5 just redeem everything and it will be a godsend in the future when you're looking for something to play um cat i'll maybe start with you is there is there anything from this list that you're a big fan of that you want to point people to or anything that you're particularly interested in playing or is it kind of like a, a so-so lineup for you i'm excited to play knockout city which uh might actually be one of the more underrated games released this year. Certainly yeah. got it had a nice little spike in popularity. A lot of people are like, "Wow, it's actually really fun this this weird dodgeball game." It's uh, since kind of fallen off and flamed out a little bit, but I think that it is worth checking out at least a little bit. Kingdom of Amalur Re Reckoning that that's a weirder one. <laughs> It's kind of an artifact <laughs> of its you, time. <laughs> yeah, about your history with this one, how much you played of it or not. I remember when it came out, it was quite cool. <laughs> and it was 
really getting pushed pretty hard by EA and everybody was saying, wow, like this is this is it huge. Uh, I mean, it was exciting for its time because it was a Western RPG and it had good combat and the people who were attached to it, like R.A. Salvatore and such, they were names. Right. And it seemed to point to a bright future for 38 Studios and what was big, huge games and everything. And of course, it didn't happen that way. And since then, you go back to it. The graphics really don't hold up. And the aesthetic is kind of weird. It's very Xbox 360 slash PS3 kind of era. And yeah, it doesn't hold up too well, but it's kind of a fun artifact of its era. And if you can get it for free, which you can here, you should try it out at least once. Yeah, I'd say if you've if you're you know, you've played all the Dragon Ages and you've played all the, the you know, any of the other Western RPGs and you really need another one, give it a shot. It's not terrible, but it's definitely dated. <laughs> Yeah, it and, was, uh, it's go ahead. Go ahead, Kat. Sorry. <laughs> it was the era where you had all these developers like EA, like Bioware and such coming out and saying, we've created this giant world and we have like 500 years of lore before the game and 500 years of lore afterward is giant timeline <laughs> and everything like that was the big thing. Right. At that yeah. particular yep. era. And this game really kind of embodies that in many ways. Yeah, I remember I, I think I maybe only played an hour or two at the time, but I remember that big cell being like, this is the beginning of a major universe and franchise that we are doing. And and Kat, as you said, like it had big names attached. So the promise and like bona fides of creating a fantasy world are there. And it's going to this is only just the start and get ready. And it it was only just the start, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But yeah, that one's there. I'm, I'm with you Kat, as well. I'm excited to try um knockout city especially after hearing how excited people were when it came out it it was that thing i think where it was like oh another ea multiplayer game after a few recent ones had fizzled out um i can't even remember the name of the last one that they had put out um that was sort of like a 3v3 action game and so i was sort of trepidatious about this but it came out and everyone who played it seemed to really love it so uh you know a ps plus audience being able to download it all at once is hopefully good for the servers and, and hopefully good for all of us checking it out for the first time um, before we we get to what we're playing, just wanted to briefly shout out uh, Kat, the, the news team and all of you have been covering all of the news out of the earnings reports that are happening uh, currently uh, and a lot of a lot of stories to get into and since we're running a little short on time, I don't want to jump into those too much, but just go check out all of that great coverage on IGN including stuff, you know, the, the obvious stuff like Midnight Sun's getting delayed unfortunately until later in 2022 uh, Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 getting delayed uh, things of that nature, but some really great reports, I think Rebecca had put up one today sort of about like the onslaught of 2k games that, that is possibly you know on the horizon uh and don't know if there's anything you want to say about the coverage but y'all have been doing a really great job with it thank you yeah rev's been really killing it with her analysis of take two in particular uh just before we started recording there was news that take two had canceled a 53 million dollar game that was unannounced and it looks like it was a hangar 13 game that's been in development Ooh. for some time it's not the, the new bioshock it's a different game but yeah. it's uh yeah no i hope hopefully hangar 13 is doing okay because we haven't seen much of that new bioshock either yeah, yeah. that's the that that was a, a strange, quiet sort of announcement for the for the new Bioshock, where it was very clearly like this is a game on a whiteboard. 
uh, that mm-hmm. we we put up the Bioshock name, and it, it is a thing we're thinking about. But good to hear that that wasn't the canceled project. But yeah, definitely uh, a quiet period for them. So I hope things are going well there. But yeah, there's a I saw some speculation about whether it was Agent, uh, of course, which uh, they recently finally like stopped having as part of their websites and whatnot, or you know things like Bully too. But uh, very very curious to hear whatever happens with Hangar 13 uh, as we get closer to that Bioshock. Game. Or is that or am I confusing the the different studios? Was it Cloud Imperium who's developing it? I can never remember anymore. But oh, did they? Uh, so I think their team was working on the Mafia game. You're right, Cloud. I wasn't it. If I'm not mistaken, like some people from Hangar 13 joined that Bioshock mm. team. I think was part of it. I think that's yeah. where we're like crossing our wires on it. But yeah, you're totally right. I do think it was a like new studio that was formed for it. Yeah. Um. But anyway, it's probably going to be some time before we get to play that Bioshock. So before we wrap up, uh, I did want to just sort of briefly touch on games that we've been playing, uh, either recently released stuff or, you know, um, older games we're revisiting or playing for the first time. And, and Kat, since it's your first time on the show, uh, and I'm very excited by what you've put down on the run of show, I thought I would throw to you first. Yeah, I'm finally getting a game off my list of shame. You know, <laughs> Persona 5 was my most anticipated game for a very long time. Many years and then I didn't finish it. I I only got halfway through it. That is a long game. Okay. I got like 45 hours into it, actually. I, I got to the pyramid, which a lot of people think is the okay. height of the actual game. But yeah, that, that dungeon is so long. And I it's just, a really long one. It's yeah. a really long dungeon. Great theme song, though. Yes. And I love Futaba, who is kind of a nerdy girl. I, why, would I, why would I be into a nerdy girl? I have no idea. But... <laughs> Futaba is great. Yeah. Futaba is amazing for sure. Um, But I finally picked it up again because we're doing a game club for my other show and I've been really enjoying it. Like I, every time I pick up Persona 5, I'm like, wow, I really like this game. Why do I keep putting it down? And the answer is because it's too long. Yeah. Are you playing Royal or the the base version? It's the base version. This is my save that I've had going since 2017. I have Royal too. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I'll get to it someday. However, here's a here's a thought. Somebody said that they were playing Persona 5 Royal uh, in real time, day by day, right? Ooh. So maybe that's a better way to play Persona 5. Well, not I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble, but that's I'm literally doing that for a show myself. So oh my God. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful podcast. Our fellow coworker Tom Marks and I are doing uh, not IGN affiliated, but yeah, oh, it's a uh, it's how. It's how we've been playing Persona 5 Royal, uh, and it is a very interesting way to play that game. Some weeks it works amazingly. Some weeks it's like, oh, there was nothing that happened. Uh, (laughs) They just went to school for a few days and took exams. But some weeks you get a lot to talk about. uh, Mm. And it's it's a really interesting, fun way to explore it. But it it has, I think, helped stave off the burnout that you can get from that. Because I had a similar situation where... I started Persona 5 right when it came out in 2017, got, I think, a little past uh, the the Pyramid Palace and then just stopped for six months and then went back and, and finished it. But yeah, it, it's easy to get lost in it and then be like, OK, I need a break. Uh, yeah. So I understand. And it's such a, a huge game. It's such a complicated game. There are so many moving parts with all of the relationships and everything to maintain and the part time jobs and the battle yeah. system that it can be really intimidating to pick up again. So that's oh, my yeah. excuse for not finishing it. 
It's fair enough. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're back too, and I'm very excited to hear what you think as you, as you get through it. Hopefully you get through it, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. And my, my only recommendation would be maybe don't immediately jump into Royal because you'll probably burn out very, very quickly. <laughs> um, Jada, what about you? What have you been playing recently? Um, I've been playing, so the new Apex season just dropped, so messing around with that on Escape, but mostly, most of my time has been going into Dying Light. Um, nice. Getting prepped and ready for Dying Light 2. I played it back on the 360 when it first dropped, but my partner never got around to playing it. So now we're going through the whole game in co-op um, and we're having a blast. It's a lot of really good time. A lot of, uh, you know, grenades and Molotovs thrown at each other um, <laughs> when one of us goes into melee, everybody, um, because we don't communicate very well, apparently, when we're playing this game <laughs> and surrounded by zombies. Um, but <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's really great. We're loving it. They Right now, the um they have the halloween event going on until i think today's last day or yesterday was um where we were like super crane so there was no fall damage our grappling hook was like batman so we could literally grapple across the city non-stop <laughs> with no cooldowns um it was a lot of fun um over this last couple last week or so um but we're about halfway through it and uh nice. you know so we should finish it before dying light 2 drops in february actually it got just got delayed actually yeah I think I, it was february and but- i think it moved back a couple weeks it was originally December even. Oh, maybe it was December yeah. and it moved to February is what th- I'm thinking. Yeah, it got moved to February 4th, I think. Yeah, so, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're on track to finish it, so I'm excited for that. Nice. I, I love that that game is still getting updates like to this day because um, it's not a thing I think of in sort of the common shooter or you know like first person action or even just like zombie pantheon of of the moment but it's it's awesome and obviously there's the player base that has stayed with it or there wouldn't be a sequel coming but yeah the fact that they're still doing events for it is is really cool yeah and there's like they've been trickling down like little dying light two easter eggs there's like dying to know spray paints all over the world (laughs) um and so just really cool stuff i think it's a really smart way to market their sequel so that's awesome yeah kudos to them yeah, that's that's really, really cool to hear. And uh, yeah, just on my end, as I said, I'm, I am playing through Persona 5 Royal at the moment, so that is also happening and I'm still very much enjoying it. Uh, my PlayStation time has been very much split of like doing my dailies of Fortnite and Genshin Impact and uh, like turning essentially my game playing into a job. And I feel bad about that sometimes. Uh, so I haven't been playing through anything too much there, though I did jump back to Returnal now that the, the save state is in there. Because uh, I still haven't beaten it, and I would really like to do that before the end of the year. So we'll see. Uh, Are you to, abusing the save glitch? I haven't yet, but I did read our story on that, and I think I may very well have to. Yeah, um, that is definitely worth pointing out. I forgot about that, but yeah, we we did write that up. I'm not misremembering, correct? Yeah, yeah we did. Yes. Um, definitely. If you if you are having trouble in Returnal, don't be afraid to go check out that glitch before it gets patched. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been playing a bit more of Returnal and then just on like the general gaming side for the year, I've been playing Inscription, which is currently only available on PC. And the problem is I can't really tell you anything about Inscription uh, other than the footage you may be seeing on the video version or, you know, uh, announcements of the game. I'm really, really loving it. I think I'm about two thirds of the way through the full game. Uh, It is a deck builder with a lot of really, really interesting and unexpected storytelling choices and um, puzzles to solve and and things to do in it that I I didn't expect to be there. But also just its base card game is a really fun, uh, seemingly simplistic card game, but a a really fun one to engage with. Uh, You can definitely kind of get stuck run by run. It can really be sort of a luck of the draw sometimes, uh, depending on how you get some cards along your way. But uh, it is 
really really cool and i'm i'm loving discovering the uh the thoughts about its world and and the things that it's doing and if i say any more i will probably ruin the experience <laughs> so uh i don't know if either of you have played but it went from a game i didn't know existed two weeks ago to a game of the year contender for me so i am wow I yeah i downloaded the demo the other night i haven't got a chance to actually boot it up and start it so i did that because i saw your tweet about it being a game of the year <laughs> contender i was like all right let me see what this is what this is about but haven't had a chance to actually dive into it yet gotcha yeah it's i i that normally doesn't often happen to me uh i, I usually try to uh couch my my uh hyperbole like that but it was one of those things where i spent uh i think 12 hours this past weekend playing and didn't expect to do that this weekend um mm. put some other things aside and just absolutely like loved my time of it it's one of those like really specific interesting game experiences uh that comes from sort of a game of the scale, but also very clearly a very specific intention in, in ways that I think are really, really impressive. And again, don't want to spoil anything about it. Uncovering the mystery is a lot of the fun of the experience, but there's a lot more to it than just the surprises along the way. Uh, so if you're looking for something off PlayStation to play, I highly recommend it. Um, but the year of games that you didn't know existed suddenly becoming game of the year contenders because there's no clear... This is a game of the year. This yeah. is a sh- yeah. this is maybe Deathloop, maybe. So there are a lot of smaller games that people are kind of uplifting and saying, no, actually, Unsighted uh, yep. is the, the game of the year or whatever. So interesting yeah. year. No, you're totally right. I, I think probably if you looked at things now, it's like, Deathloop is probably the the like critical darling to beat, but I think it is to your point. I think there are so many beloved camps right now that there is a lot uh, that could make its way through to to earn those those awards, uh, and it's going to be fun meetings for us to have on staff to figure that out on our end. But uh, that stress is to discuss another day. <laughs> um, but that pretty much wraps us up for this week's episode. Jada and Kat, thank you so much for joining me uh, for this episode. Is there uh, Kat? I'll start with you. Is there anything? Uh, coverage-wise or, or anything you've been working on on IGN or off that you want to point people to or, or ch- tell people to check out? Well, if you also like Nintendo coverage, come check me out over at Nintendo Voice Chat. But otherwise, I'm just grinding away on the news beat <laughs> with our very talented folks like Matt Kim and Joe Scrubbles and Rebecca Valentine. They are good people and we're doing our absolute best to continue to improve IGN's news coverage day by day. And there's a lot happening because it's release season. Yeah. And, and you all have been doing a, a phenomenal job on that. So uh, definitely go check out that coverage if you haven't been. Uh, Jada, anything on your end before we wrap up? Um, I'm in the comment sections of all of Kat's articles and everybody else writing stuff. So if you need to <laughs> reach me, just ping me there. Um, you can also ping me in our IGN Discord or in the IGN boards. Um, there's, you know, we've got uh, community office hours. I do Monday and Friday, uh, respectively, on those. So just ping me there. And if you got a question for me or Jonathan or... I can ask them and get you an answer. (laughs) And if I've had enough coffee, it will be a halfway decent answer. (laughs) Um, And yeah, nothing huge on the feature side, though. uh, Lucy, obviously, she's not here at the moment. She's both not feeling well and working on a ton of projects. Uh, There's there's a bunch to come that we'll be able to discuss on the show in future weeks. But we've got some fun uh, new art of the levels and some other features uh, in the works. So look forward to that stuff soon. But that is otherwise going to wrap us up for this week's episode. Kat and Jada, thank you again so much for joining me on this week's 
show. Thank you to Red, our producer, for making the show happen. And also for those obviously out there, it doesn't matter, for dealing with all of my schedule changes for the day. Thank you to all three of you for dealing with that uh, on my end. Uh, And thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. We hope you're safe and we hope you're doing well. And as always, beyond. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.